Look, governments love a crisis. Uh, the best thing you can have, an emergency, real or imagined, use it and still fear in the masses, they'll end up doing whatever you want and they won't even complain. They'll even thank you for it. Hi, I'm Evelyn Ray. Welcome to The Cauldron Pool Show. Today I am joined with Bill Muhlenberg. You may have seen him uh, at cauldronpool.com. He has published a number of his written works with us. Um, incredible writer, but he's a man with a very big resume, incredible resource of knowledge and information. I have followed him for a long time. He has his own Christian ministry, Culture Watch, where he writes a whole range of blogs about all different topics, Christianity, theology, uh, politics, culture. Uh, he not only does that, he does lots of radio podcasts and uh, he's sought after in the media world for his expertise on things. Not only that, he has authored many books. He's also done, I think, graduated with high honors and honors in philosophy, uh, in theology. And I'm sure there's something else I'm missing here, Bill, because you have a lot of talents on your, uh, on your resume here. But I really am grateful that you could join me on the show. Uh, and be a part of this today. Well, it's an honor. Thanks so much, Evelyn, for having me. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, about a year ago, I think we uh, we did you. So in terms of reciprocity, I think you and Rod were featured on one of my podcasts. So it's, uh, well, we're kind of leveling the playing field now, I guess you could say, but it's great to be with you again and always appreciate your show. Yes, it, I think it was about a year ago, um, and I was very honoured that you asked me, little me, to come on your show, um, and yeah, I'm so glad that you could come on this one now, and we can sort of talk about some things that you've been writing about lately. But before we get into that, just for the audience that might be tuning in, I'd love it if you wouldn't mind giving a better bio about yourself than what I gave, just a little bit about who you are and sort of what led you to create your ministry and sort of get into this space. Yeah, well, I thought your intro was pretty good, actually. Um, <clears throat> what's the old line about uh, our speaker today needs no introduction. However, he could use a conclusion. Um, <laughs> so I'll be uh, short as well. But uh, as you can probably tell, I guess, by the accent or the lack thereof, uh, originally from the U.S., but uh, married to an Aussie, which is my excuse for being here. And uh, yeah, I've been here about 33 odd years now um, and made the rounds of quite a few of the kind of conservative and Christian groups, uh, Institute of Public Affairs, Quashrent Magazine, National Civic Council, Australian Family Association, Focus on the Family, Salt Shakers. So kind of exhausted most of the groups around and then about 15 years ago decided, well, I'll keep doing the same. Uh, but maybe just from the comfort of home in front of my own computer. So as you say, Culture Watch was launched. Um, uh, I'm, I'm not good if your car breaks down. I won't be any of any help to you. But if you want an article spinned out in, say, 30 minutes, that I can do. So there's almost 6,000 articles on the website. So uh, mm -hmm. and well, probably 95,000 comments. So it's an interactive blog site. A friend and foe can come and discuss things. So it keeps me off the streets, at least. Uh, it makes for a busy life. And yeah, it's uh, between writing a few books, doing a few speaking engagements, teaching here and there. It keeps me busy. And uh, I guess it's my calling, which I'll keep going with until either my voice uh, runs out or uh, something, but uh, I have no plans to retire. So, uh, and I am thankful, by the way, for guys like you. I mean, I'm, I'm an old guy now, right? Been doing this a while, but I think, wow, God's raising up all these younger people, you and Ben and Rod, uh, to begin with. So uh, it's neat that as one generation is you know, been uh, doing its thing for a while, God will raise up others. So yeah, that's me in a nutshell. Very well accomplished, very humble. Um, and yeah, I've always really appreciated your insights on things, not just your uh, knowledge on events and your, um, I guess your research and the effort you put in, but you're very well written. I, I enjoy your style of writing. It's very easy to follow and c consume. Um, and not only that, I love that you have a Christian worldview. And I think particularly as Christians today, 2022, it's super important as you're reading the news to have the, you know, the news in one hand and the Bible in the other. So 
people like yourself who are doing that and writing articles with that in mind is incredibly encouraging and helps you sort of sift through some of the trash that we're sort of confronted with on the daily. Um, Mm. And something I wanted to sort of jump straight into was your recent article on what's going on with all the farmers over in Netherlands. And I think you called it Farmers Against Fascism. And um, I read read the article, it was was really good. I liked the fact as well that you spoke a little bit about the history of the Dutch um, and how, you know, they're not, um, I guess, uh, first timers to this sort of thing that it's sort of built in their history. Um, to have to confront certain challenges. Um, But I wanted to sort of ask you, first of all, fascism. We hear that word getting thrown around. I get called a fascist because (laughs) I'm a Christian. But just for our audience, how would you describe fascism and why did you sort of use that as your title of your article, Farmers Against Fascism? Yeah, well, the, the obvious reason, it was nice alliteration, right? Uh, sounds good when you can get all the same words starting off the same way. But uh, look, I mean, really, in this case, it's about the Great Reset, the World Economic Forum, the globalists, the whole woke agenda. So we could have used any number of terms, but they are, at the end of the day, fascist in nature, Right. They're all about the big state crushing the small individual and getting rid of any intermediary structures in between. Uh, So it's a war on the family, on the church, on the community. So you simply have the naked individual up against the raw power of big brother statism. So that's what we find happening in Holland right now, what's happening in Europe, certainly Australia, New Zealand, all around the West. And we certainly saw it, right, over two years of COVID craziness, more alliteration there. It's just been uh, madness to see what's happening. In fact, I've been living in Melbourne during this period, the most mm. locked down city in the world. So congratulations. Uh, uh, look, I mean, <laughs> you, you've had it tough. We've all had it tough. But I must say Melbourne has been uh, mm. Wow, it's been it's been hardcore. And, you know, I'm supposed to be a mature Christian and I found it rough going that time. So I think how are others coping? And of course, many haven't coped. Uh, Many committed suicide. Uh, Well, Queensland is happy. Uh, Their real estate is booming because of Dan Andrews and Victoria. Right. So many Mm -hmm. Victorians are fleeing Melbourne and heading up to greener pastures. So, yeah, it's a kind of fascism either way. Use a emergency, a crisis, uh, either invent one or exploit one. And, uh, well, basically take away basic human rights, take away basic freedoms and liberties. And most people will thank the government for you doing that. Oh, you're keeping us safe. That what That's what matters. So that happened with COVID massively. And that's uh, what's happening in Holland. Uh, in the name of saving the planet, right? They're banning all Mm. kinds of things which the farmers need. And not just that, uh, you know, talking about a nitrogen and ammonia crisis and methane, right? Your livestock is killing the world. Uh, They're saying we really need to take over as big brother state. Uh, Your farms, you're not doing it right. So 40,000 plus Dutch farmers have taken to the streets saying, wait a minute, uh, you've got this all wrong. No farmers means no food. And that's exactly what's happening. In fact, we've seen it. Well, right here, right here in Melbourne. Mm. Basics, eggs and things we can't even get in our own shelves. Um, uh, Bill Gates, again, part of the Great Reset in America, has been buying up hundreds of thousands of acres of farmland uh, over in, well, Sri Lanka, right? We've just seen uh, people mm. power in action there. What happened there? Same thing. They blocked imported fertilizers that affected food production. That meant food shortages. The people revolted. Thankfully, there, they gave the guy a boot. He's now sitting in Singapore somewhere, I think, finally Mm -hmm. admitting he's no longer the big cheese there. So we see this all over. Uh, Ukraine is and was the breadbasket of Europe. It's struggling now, obviously, with the war. Back in the 30s, your uh, viewers would know as well, right? Stalin... uh, well, he basically nationalized uh, every well everything. Certainly, the farming community in the Ukraine, early 1930s, 
uh, the result, food shortages again. Some 10 million people were starved mm -hmm. to death under Soviet uh, policy in Ukraine. So look, the Dutch are not stupid. They know their history. In fact, they're much closer to that action than we are. So they know this government meddling with the farmers is not going to end well. It never does. So, yeah, I've written about them and about the great people power stance that they're taking. Other countries, Italy, Germany and so on, are joining in the protests. So that's what gives us hope. I've written a lot lately on what's called resistance theory. Right. When is it right and proper even for Christians to resist the state? When does the state go too far? And we have to say no. So while it's bad news or the horrible things the state is doing, it is also good news that people are rising up and saying enough is enough. Mm, absolutely. It is encouraging to see that, you know, we can all kind of come together from all different backgrounds and where, wherever we are, but with a common goal, which is to stand up against things that aren't right, that are, that are evil, that are wrong. And, you know, you mentioned um, in your article that it, in particular over in the Netherlands, um, it's all about nitrogen uh, and things like that. You see, I've heard carbon, I've heard methane, yep. but nitrogen, I'm thinking this is a whole new thing and they just yeah. keep adding into the mix right. to the point where yep. it's like, you know, like what what's gonna be next? And I'm pretty sure that most of the air we breathe is made up of nitrogen as well. So I, I have no idea how they can realistically achieve the goals that they want and how they think that this particular thing is going to even come close to achieving that. Yeah. But why do you think, do you think that they've realized carbon didn't work, methane didn't work, we haven't installed enough fear or propaganda, yeah. we'll add something else. Do you think that's why this is a new thing that they've added in the mix? Oh, look, anything will do. Any excuse will uh, be run with, uh, as you say, ammonia, nitrogen today, uh, something will come up tomorrow. It's all about saving the planet. Well, that's the theory, but it's really about uh, controlling people, instilling fear in the masses, getting them so paranoid, so panic porned out that they'll do anything the state says. And we saw that here again, you know, if we, the state says wear 10 masks at a time, even in your car with your windows up, driving along, even out in the middle of the beach when nobody is there, uh, the masses will do it. I remember, right? And you probably do too. Walking the dogs when they allowed us to uh, a couple of yeah. years ago, right? We had this, you know, insane five kilometer radius you could not leave your home more than 5k's and for only one hour a day did mm. our kind overlords allow us to go outside how how thoughtful of them so i'd be there walking the dogs i'd have my stupid mask on sometimes but even then uh, right you'd see somebody coming the other way they'd make a wide berth walk out in the middle of the street to avoid me they were so filled with panic in fear, uh, the state did a wonderful job. And uh, it's interesting, I've written about 250 articles on just the COVID crisis. Uh, the very first one I did about March of 2020, very first one I said, look, governments love a crisis. Uh, the best thing you can have, an emergency, real or imagined, use it and still fear in the masses, they'll end up doing whatever you want and they won't even complain. They'll even thank you for it. So uh, in, in fact, it's, it's funny, I don't know if I should say uh, back then uh, about that period, George Christensen, we, we all know, he interviewed me for one of his podcasts and I was saying the same thing. And I thought at the time he was thinking, oh, well, Bill, you might be a bit extreme here. Of course, now he's saying exactly the same things, but I suspect, well, back then, being with the libs and the gnats, I suppose he had to be a little bit cool as to what he could and could not say. But uh, yeah, now he and, of course, some of the others are saying just that. This is bad news. The Dutch are now seeing more of the same. Uh, and yeah, it's uh, just one thing after another. And again, it's not a conspiracy theory. If it were, it'd be hidden. We wouldn't know about it. But when they, the other side actually tells you what they're doing, they proudly proclaim their aims and objectives, right? Mm -hmm. Could be the older communists. It could be the World Economic Forum and Schwab and Gates. 
come on, we got the internet now. You can go on the internet, take a look, read what they've said, read what their goals are. So this is not some conspiracy. This is out there as broad as day, uh, in broad daylight. And uh, only those who are ignorant and willfully so cannot see what's really happening. Yeah, I think there's a lot of spiritual blindness happening as well, um, because like you mentioned, like you can just go onto the World Economic Forum. You can have a look at Agenda 2030. You can have a look at their goals, their mission statements, what they want to achieve, when they want to achieve it by the exact year, for example. It's all there, but it's like people refuse to see it. Or yep. and, I, and like you said, is it willful blindness? Is it ignorance? Is it spiritual blindness? Like you see multiple cases in the Bible where people are just spiritually ah. blind to the truth. And, you know, you've got to ask yourself, is that sort of what we're seeing? Because it, it's right. It's it's not subtle anymore. <laughs> it's no longer tinfoil hat, Alex Jones, you know, that spectrum of the Internet. It's right in front of you, smacking you in the face. Um, yep. Yet I get called a conspiracy theorist for just reading off the World Economic yeah. Forums, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, guidelines and what they sort of want to do. But, um, you know, w with this World Economic Forum, I think they said they want zero greenhouse emissions by 2050, which means yeah. by 2030, they have to have done certain things with carbon and all of the other things. And so you can see how it's all leading in yeah, yeah. one direction across the world. Yeah. Um, but, you know, what's happening in the Netherlands um, is should be a red flag for us over here in Australia, especially because New Zealand have just started taxing their farmers as well for yep. extra methane. They're almost making it impossible for anybody to be self-sufficient or independent or own their own property, their own businesses. And what we're seeing in the Netherlands, um, I, I had a look at some of the interviews that you linked in your article um, of people who are over there who are, you know, Dutch and who are speaking out against it. And they were saying that they've told some, you know, an amount of farmers that they have to comply by certain conditions. And if they don't, yeah. the state can actually take the yeah. farm and take all of those things from those families. That's communism. I don't know if I'm looking at that at that right, but that reads yeah. communism to me. Oh, of course. No, of course it is. I mean, the abolition of private property, you know, this communism 101, anybody who read Marx and Lenin, as I did back in my more wild youth, you know, that's exactly what they're on about. Uh, the state owns everything, and as uh, Schwab and the boys say, and you will be happy. Well, actually, we don't want the reset. We want the resistance. We want them not to own anything, and we want them not to be happy. We want to be happy, right? Get your grubby hands off of our property. Uh, of course, it's not just Bill Gates uh, that's buying up huge tracts of land in America. You got China is doing the same in America, yeah. and they're doing it here as well, of course. Mm. Uh, buying up all kinds of, uh, well, whether it's the port of Darwin or hunks of farmland, that's another part of the, the equation. That's another big part of the worry. Chinese communists are, well, communists are communists. They always have the same goals. And uh, look, uh, being almost our next door neighbor, that makes it even more of a threat for us in Australia. But again, as you say, there's a lot of people who seem to be either ignorant or uninformed or unwilling to be informed. And yeah, there is a blindness. There is a, uh, well, Jesus said it himself, right? Uh, I'll speak to some of you in parables. Others will get it straight away. Some of you, he quotes Isaiah, right? Mm. God even sent a hardness, a blindness, a deafness in the ears. Uh, that's pretty hardcore when even God is kind of, you know, he's effectively saying, okay, you guys are going to get what you want, right? It's mm -hmm. Romans 1 all over again. Your punishment is effectively your sin. You're going to get what you want. You reject me, well, uh, you'll, you'll pay the price. So this kind of blindness, that's certainly part of what we're seeing here. I guess your job, my job, and others we're trying to undo some of this blindness. We're trying to sound the alarm. We're being watchmen on the wall, having a prophetic voice. But as you know, right, the only good prophet or the only liked prophet in the Bible was the false prophet. Uh, true prophets never get a good run. So uh, if it's uh, tough, if you're getting a lot of flack, I'm getting it. 
Well, it it goes with the territory. So uh, we keep fighting the good fight. We hang in there and hopefully we'll wake up some people along the way. Mm. Yeah, it does. It does get tough uh, some days, I'm sure. You know, it, it is also, I guess, affirming that we are, you know, picking up the cross and following him. He, he says that in the Bible, you know, pick up your cross and follow me. Uh, also, you know, I remind myself before they hated me, they hated him. Um, and, you know, it's good. It's good to say those things, but sometimes we don't always uh, practice what we know is right. And so it does get hard. But I do think it's important that we do be a voice of truth um, and especially offering a Christian alternative because there are so many solutions that are empty, that are void of the real answer mm-hmm. and the real solution, which is the gospel, which is regeneration. And I think that, you know, the most important thing um, is obeying God's law, which is spreading the gospel. And when people choose in their hearts to follow God's laws and things like that, that's when, um, you know, you almost, you can't help but follow the truth. It's you're, you're regenerating, you're sanctifying and it happens. And so, I think that's our best thing to do to tackle it. Um, you know, speak the truth with the gospel at the tips of our tongues and hope that more people come to that. But um, I wanted to sort of touch on um, a little bit more of these farmers sort of issues right now. There's a lot of similarities between what we're seeing over in the Netherlands um, to what we saw in Canada with the truck convoy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of people uh, were incredibly encouraged uh, and, you know, courage culture is infectious. And we all sort of around the world had all eyes on Canada and we were all sort of supporting the truckers because we thought if they win, we feel like we can have a win. It's possible, it's feasible, it's tangible for us also. But in the end, we saw um, it sort of deflate, I guess. And, you know, Canada is still under a dictator. Um, And so a lot of people, I think, are wondering, is what's happening in the Netherlands different to what's happening in Canada and why? And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, Bill. Well, I think in many ways they're similar, actually. I mean, the reason the Canadian thing fizzled out wasn't due to lack of people, power, and passion. It was, as you say, because of the heavy hand of the Canadian government, of Justin Trudeau, right? Throwing in, in fact, some guys are still in jail, some of the leaders of the truck protest. Mm. They're still languishing in prison. So um, that's a big part of the reason why it's not in the news as much as it once was. By the way, a new book has come out recently with one of the pastors who was thrown into jail in Canada, along Mm -hmm. with one of the uh, uh, leaders of John MacArthur's church in California. So the two of them wrote a book about their experiences of standing up to the big state. I've got a review of that book on my website, but yeah, so it's been not just, well, it's been both. It's been Christians obviously standing up when the state says your church must be shut down. The worship of God is now for Bolton, right? Uh, Thankfully, some Christians woke up and said, this is not right. And we've had some even here in Melbourne who went to jail for that reason, but plenty of non-Christians as well in Canada, right? Simple, ordinary citizens, sick of what was happening. So they joined in with the protests. They would open their homes to the truckers, feed them, give them place to stay if they needed it. So it really was a people power revolution, much like what we see happening in Holland. And well, look, we can expect the same. In this case, not just the Dutch government, which is not very sympathetic, Uh, But the EU and the the forces that be in Europe, right? I mean, even Germany and Belgium that surround uh, Holland are not going in as much of a draconian path as the Dutch are. So uh, the EU can step in. Other forces can be brought to bear. So I expect to see a similar. Well, in fact, there were. Uh, Police have already been uh, shooting at some of the Dutch uh, farmers. So, you know, this is hardcore. Where it's going to end, we don't know. But, uh, well, again, Sri Lanka was our encouraging example. Right now, the ordinary people are swimming in the swimming pool of the former head of state. (laughs) Doing Uh, weights in his gym. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
So whether or not, you know, we're going to get the Dutch farmers into the Hague, uh, you know, enjoying the perks of where the prime minister used to live or whether we get Justin Trudeau chucked out, that's probably going to be less likely. Uh, but yeah, where it goes, it's largely dependent on where the people want to go with it. Um, if they give up easily and quickly, if they're intimidated, well, then the government knows, yeah, we can we can deal with this. And by the way, I'm, as I say, writing a lot on resistance theory. Uh, a special interest of mine of late has been the French resistance, right? Mm -hmm. uh, during the Second World War, fighting off the Nazis as they occupied Paris and the rest of the country. Uh, a lot of French collaborated with the Nazis. Many did not. And many of the resistance fighters were brave, young, courageous women. So I think of young Evelyn. I think, you know, some of these gals back in uh, France back then who, you know, many were caught, imprisoned, tortured, many killed. But just the resilience they had, they knew they had to stand up for the greater good. Just looking after number one doesn't cut it. We've got a real threat, a real battle going on here. And everyone has a role to play. We cannot sit on the fence. We cannot stay on the sidelines if we don't act and get involved, um, well, it's going to get worse. And, you know, you think, well, I can deal with it. Yeah, but what about your kids? What about your grandkids? It's going to get a whole lot worse for them. So, yeah, I see the reactions all around the world, be it Canada, Holland, much the same. The government hates what's going on. The people don't like it either. And there's a clash of values and worldviews. And, uh, well, may the best man win. In this case, may people and freedom and liberty win, and may the statists be put back in their place. And, well, you said you mentioned before that you are doing a lot about resilience and things like that. You're studying it. Can I ask, do you actually think that protests work? Because this is the big topic of discussion at the moment. In Australia, we saw protests every single weekend. And, you know, there was this thing going around called protest fatigue. I know I, I felt it. Um, I went, you know, and I just was like, oh, another protest, not again, you know, and you had this feeling, but then at the same time, I don't blame people for going out and protesting and I encourage them. They're probably doing a better job than me who's sitting and complaining about it. But, um, you know, like, does it actually work? I think people want to know, do protests work? Like, are we going down the right path of resistance that you mentioned to actually create change and change, not just in the hearts of people, but where it matters mostly, which is in these big government institutions? Yeah, no, good question. Um, certainly they can and do work. And yeah, I was at some of the, you know, hundreds of thousands marching in Melbourne, it was like every weekend that was happening. I went to a number. But again, look, you have to hang into history. You won't get far if you don't have an awareness of history, which, by the way, the statists know all about. Right. If they can cut you off from your own history, you're much easier to control. But if you know something about your history, that will give you real hope. You might say, boy, things are looking very dark in Australia, New Zealand, Canada, 2022. But things were looking pretty dark, not just Second World War. Mm. And, you know, straight after that, what happened? Then the Cold War, right? The lousy mm. communists taking over all of Eastern Europe. So I, again, wrote a piece not too long ago about those resistance fighters, right? Those who opposed the communist regimes. Uh, you know, so many heroic uh, people, uh, often Christians, not always, uh, so you had Poland, of course, Lech Walesa, Solidarity. You had what happened in Romania with people power, huge protests, right? Sure, the state would come in at first, mow them down with machine guns. But in the end, they won and the dictators would flee. Uh, so those kind of stories are so encouraging. And it's not just us and our protests. It's obviously God and his grace. And there's a mix. And God raises up leaders, right? Uh, mm -hmm. How did the 
Berlin Wall come down? Well, you can think of three or four. I mentioned one, right? Solidarity and its leader, by the way, the Catholic Church was very big and all that and uh, was a main contributor to what happened in Poland, but three others, right? You had Reagan, you had Thatcher, and you had the Pope, who, by the way, was Polish himself. All uh, in the mix, all leading uh, at the same time and between the three and four of them, they really helped to bring an end to communism. Uh, the wall did come down, right? Um, I, like I said, I was an old hippie and a leftist back in my radical youth. And then I became a Christian. And I thought, wow, you know, 1917, the Russian Revolution, it's been a long time. Come on, 40, 50, 60, 70 years. When's it going to come to an end? Entire generation of Russian people born, raised, and died under godless communism. So you think, Lord, what's going on? But 1989 happened, right? In fact, that was a year of a number of revolutions, not just Germany, but as I say, so many Eastern European nations won their freedom from uh, Soviet tyranny. The Soviet Union itself started going to pieces. So you have to have that uh, historical hope. You have to have biblical hope. And between the two of them, mm. hey, we can do anything. And people power is part of it. Sure, not every protest is going to get the desired results, but there's a cumulative effect. And, um, well, leaders take notice. They may not like 200,000 marching through the streets of Melbourne, but they take notice. And, well, the media tends to try not to take notice, right? They mm -hmm. avoid it or they tell you, oh, well, a couple of thousand people rolled up, right? Small gathering. Well, that's right. That's right. But uh, if nothing else, the common person looking on sees, wow, there's a lot of people in Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, who are quite concerned, have been standing up for freedom, for liberty, for basic human rights. Maybe that's something I should be interested in as well. So, yeah, we all have our role to play. You do fantastic things, including these great interviews. I write a little bit. Uh, protests is part of it. Getting into politics is part of it, right? Uh, there's so many areas we can stand up, get involved, make a difference. Uh, Wilberforce is right, always your example. Get saved, this aristocratic uh, gentleman in politics first, in parliament in Britain, get saved asks people like John Newton, the slave ship captain, well, mm. you know, what should I do? Should I quit, become a pastor or a missionary? Thankfully, Newton said, don't you dare, Wilby, old boy. You stay in Parliament and you make a difference. And he did, as you know, exactly that. 40-odd mm. years fighting the slave trade. Three days before he died, he saw the fruit of his labors. And by the way, we could tie in Roe v. Wade here, right? Uh, who thought after 49 and a half years, we would live to see another wall come tumbling down. In this case, SCOTUS undoing this horrible 1973 decision. So again, uh, things can take time. I may not see everything happen in my lifetime, but I'm building, I'm laying some foundation. You're building. Uh, Cauldron Pool is doing a great job. So many groups are. Uh, if we don't see all the benefit in our lifetime, well, maybe our kids will. So that's a good reason to keep plugging away. Hmm. I think Doug Wilson, he's a theologian in America. He said, plant the orange trees now, because even if you don't get to make juice from the oranges, your kids and, and grandkids will be able to one day. So I, I do like that hopeful yep. sort of, uh, you know, look, hopeful gospel. And I, I tweeted the other day that too many Christians are pessimistic about the success of the gospel. Yep. And I think it's important for us Christians when we're looking at the state of the world like we are right now to remember the success of the gospel of Christ and that Christ is king now. Amen. He, you know, he's he's on the throne um, and he has power and dominion over all. And that's encouraging for us to, you know, move forward. But I wanted to ask specifically as Christians um, in this mix um, and who, who's sort of aware of what's going on, what our role should be in the resistance. And not only that, when I was reading your article, um, about the Dutch farmers, I noticed that they had uh, sort of gone along with the original demands from the government. They made changes, they went back and forth, they they mixed things up and it still wasn't good enough. And the government have then obviously come in and said, 
I know you've reorganized your farms, but now we want to do this and it's made it impossible. So first, my first question was, what should Christians do in the resistance? And my second is, if we allow the government to take a little bit, do you think that they are going to just keep taking? Is it important for us to stand up in the early days before it escalates um, even more so than what it is today? Yeah, yeah. Well, look, second part first. Uh, yeah, I mean, come on, it's the nature of the beast. Government takes and it does not give back. I mean, if we haven't learned that lesson from history, we're, we're not in a good way. Uh, the more it gets, the more it wants. I mean, this is a fallen world. It's true of individuals and it's certainly true of the state. Now, by the way, I should quickly say um, I'm not a libertarian as such, right? I, I'm not an anarchist. God created the state. It's one form of government, first and foremost, right, is your own, uh, your own private self-government. Uh, there's government and family, government and church. But he did create civil government to bring about some order and justice in the fallen world. So I'm not saying, you know, well, as I said, as a, you know, F the pigs when I was back in my hippie days, you know, you know <laughs> destroy the state the whole bit. I'm not saying that, but... It's the nature of the state to take more. And unless the populace stands up and says enough is enough, they'll just keep going. And we are seeing that happen right now. I mean, Dan Andrews, again, in Victoria, he's a, he's a dictator for life. You know, he keeps extending these emergency powers, uh, as a number of other Australian states have done as well. Any excuse it will do to have and cling and hang on to this power uh, so uh, we've got a, an election in November. We'll see what happens. Uh, either the Victorians are so far gone in fear and paranoia that they will bring them back again, in which case, you know, Lord, I'm thinking, where am I going, right? Poland, uh, Hungary, <laughs> there's a few jurisdictions left. And well, surprisingly, a lot of them, the former, right, Eastern European communist nations. Uh, but yeah, we have to resist. We have to say enough is enough. There's too many who have said the state is uh, absolute when it's not. It's got delegated authority. Romans 13 makes that clear. Mm -hmm. um, sure, uh, generally speaking, we submit, but there are plenty of times when we have to say, no, we cannot. God comes first. So as to what we can do, again, the, the options are lim uh, limitless, really. Uh, as many people as are concerned, well, those are your options. Again, you know, I've written two and a half books, say, on homosexuality, plus probably a thousand articles. Uh, others who are concerned about that area, they might work in an AIDS hospital, right? Deal with people dying of AIDS. Uh, some could become politicians. Some can... Uh, get onto radio and TV, some can get into law, uh, some into our schools. There's really no limit as to what your gifts, what your talents are. Like I say, I write a little bit. I was writing back in my pagan days, right? I edited an underground newspaper back in the wild new left, uh, late 60s counterculture. Now, where did that gift and ability to come to write come from? Uh, I was a pagan, right? Uh, you know, hated God, hated the the world, but God had given me an ability to read, to think, to write. So I was using it for evil a while. Uh, got saved at eighteen, so I was kind of a young Marxist. <laughs> but then I look back and I thought, oh look, you know, I'm still using the same gifts, the same abilities, but now I'm using it for good for God. So whatever God has given you, use it to the max, right? Uh, again, I, like I said, if your car breaks down, don't ask me. I couldn't tell you what a steering wheel is from a, you know, an engine. You know, I'm not uh, uh, very able in that department, but uh, I can do a bit of writing, a bit of debating, a bit of teaching. So that's my thing. So all of us have a role to play. Uh, and again, history tells us the same, right? Uh, ordinary people doing ordinary things. Again, that's one of the things that blows your mind about, again, just one aspect, the French resistance fighters. These were ordinary men and women, right? You know, farmers, uh, teachers, uh, any number of professions, and they weren't necessarily known for being super anything, but they became superstars, brave 
courageous, right? You and I probably ask, what would we do if we were captured and tortured, right? Many of these people were. And yet God gave grace to ordinary men and women, again, some Christians, some Jews, some pagans, to do great things to resist great tyranny. And, um, well, at the end of the day, I keep saying we got to stop playing games. The time to have fun, to follow your trivial pursuits. Sorry, those days are long gone. We are now in a war, hardcore. We're on uh, battlefronts everywhere around us. And you need to get involved. Ask God. If you don't know what your gift or your talent is, say, God, I'm, I'm here. My hand is raised. I'm ready to go. However you want to use me, I'll do it. Um, that willingness to get involved and to say, I'm, I'm peanuts. I can't do beans. But by your grace, God, I can do it. Right? One last word of encouragement, if you don't mind. A free mini sermon here we'll throw in. Um, you know, I think I'm the least qualified guy to do what I'm doing, right? Um, I used to have a whole lot of media appearance. I mean, not just Christian. I had everything, right? I was doing newspaper, radio, TV all the time, right? I was Every other week, I was on ABC, Channel 9, the Melbourne Age, Sydney Morning Herald. I did, well, thousands of interviews. And I thought, this is so wrong, right? How do you get into the media and have this run all the well they love controversy so obviously I, as a pro family spokesman i could give them that right i didn't give them the baloney but i was doing everything wrong first of all look i'm from america come on that's a strike against you i'm a guy it should be a girl uh, i'm not exactly photogenic or telegenic uh, you know everything i got going is wrong and yet somehow god used me you know, you'd think, all right, Evelyn, here you go. Hey, she's Australian. She's young. She's articulate. She's attractive. She's the kind of gal you want with the Melbourne age, the ABC, SBS. And yet, for some reason, they use me over and over and over again. So I think God's got a sense of humor. I feel totally unqualified, certainly not up for the task. In fact, as people who know me, I'd rather sit, you might have noticed a few books behind me. I'd rather <laughs> sit home and read a lousy book, right? I do not, you know, to go out and to speak and debate. I mean, I've, I've spoken to uh, law students at Melbourne Uni full of angry lesbians. I've spoke to angry single mothers. I've spoke with angry uh, and debated angry homosexuals and atheists. I, I, I'm a, you know, I'd rather sit home, read a book, cat on my lap. By the way, I hate to say it, my cat's outside. It's cold and wet. She's looking at me. She's pleading to come in. <laughs> but uh, sorry, cat, you'll have to suffer a bit longer until we finish. But God does have a sense of humor. He'll use those who are probably unqualified. In fact, he calls you which makes for your your qualification, right? He doesn't call you because you're qualified, but his calling enables you to, to make a difference. So if I can do a zillion uh, media uh, interviews, if I was, you know, hobnobbing with all the guys at the time, John Howard, Peter Costello, some kid from Wisconsin, right? Come on, I didn't even know Australia existed when I was back in my hippie days, stoned out of my mind. So what does God do? He has got a sense of humor. He gets me saved, gets me to Australia, end up doing all this lobby work, all this stuff. And I think, wow, God, who would have thought, right? Who would have thunk it? Mm -hmm. So if you're sitting there wondering, what can I do? Hey, the sky's the limit. We got a very big God. In fact, God is bigger than the sky. So there is no limit. So if you're just willing, you put your hand up and say, Lord, I'm concerned. I want to make a difference. I want to be salt and light as you commanded. Here I am. Send me, Lord. Hmm. Absolutely. That's incredible <laughs> that, uh, you know, obviously you were thrown into a space you never thought you yeah. would go into, but um all glory to God, because have you done some amazing things in this space for his glory and his goodness? So he obviously knows what he's doing in his perfect goodness. And, you know, sometimes you look back and you go, oh, that's a bit of providence right there. Yep. His wisdom yep. threaded through everything that happens in yep. your life. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, what you mentioned with Romans 13, you know, back when you were sort of saying, you know, we have to submit to a certain degree um, to the civil government that God has installed. Um, I think over the last few years, I've sort of seen how misrepresented Romans 13 is and how poor people's theology is about what the role of the civil government is. And so there are a lot of questions about when 
do we when are we allowed to break that romans 13 when are we actually allowed to step out of that zone and go and sort of uh resist the civil government in that regard so you know that's something that's been challenging i think for christians and churches especially um but you know what you sort of said there yeah it's um, if put your hand up ask god for his perfect wisdom uh his guidance ask him for discernment um and you know let him lead your path um for you but speaking about sort of the church speaking about theology speaking about the church's response over the last couple of years um i'll I'll sort of finish off the interview with the a couple of articles that you wrote as well um about jordan peterson and his christianity or his journey and also the church's erasure of women and i'll just sort of link both of those together in terms of i guess christianity culture the world um i i don't know about you but i personally have felt that the church has been fairly weak um and i think that we're seeing the fruits of a weak church in our culture and in our community um and you know i think jordan peterson has been so uh well sought after because there is a void in the church when it comes to masculinity when it comes to men who have solutions um and i've interviewed someone called michael foster and he uh is a minister over in america and he wrote a book called it's good to be a man and he spoke about how we're looking at joe rogan jordan peterson all these secular sort of men for guiding beacons when really like the church should be the ones who are offering these solutions and it just shows that there is a lack in the church but you sort of in your article wrote a bit about jordan peterson's journey with his christianity and that we should be praying for him because he's clearly on a journey um and i'm encouraged by his journey there are a few times he's spoken and i'm like oh he's on the cusp he's right there i feel it like he's he wants to be there um and you know i i think it is important that we pray for men like him because it could really make a huge difference for the church for men for women for families around the world but i wanted to sort of get you know you sort of spoke about it a bit in your article um but i'd love to sort of hear your input about him and his journey and what that could mean for for us yeah yeah well absolutely uh, everything you said is spot on um and you go back to Jesus, right? Telling the disciples, if you guys won't testify about me, well, these very stones will speak out. So I've spoken and written often on that. Well, come on, Balaam's ass, right? Come on. If if God's people are not going to get the job done, he'll, he'll use anything, mm-hmm. stones, a mule. So can he use a Jordan Peterson and all these other non-Christians? Well, absolutely. And in fact, he does it all the time and often to our shame right? It's because the churches have been silent, because Christians have not been speaking out. Well, God will still get his message out if it needs some, uh, you know, unexpected pagan to do it. And often people like uh, Peterson, well, even here you think of, uh, you know, in Melbourne, Andrew Bolt, right? The conservative non-Christian, atheist come agnostic, he often speaks more biblical truth than most Christians do. So how does that work? Why we have so many pagans? Uh, by the way, we can tie in a couple of things. I can go all over here, but Sky News is full of a lot of good conservatives, hardly any Christians, right? Very few. So very few pro-life, very few uh, pro-family, whereas Fox News in America has got quite a few of its star lineup who are Christians. So that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, to compare the two, but as to both a woke church and uh, Peterson, well, the the real connection here, of course, is the trans issue. The thing that got Peterson really on the world stage, right, was his stand against trans madness. And the thing we just saw in the UK with uh, at least one bishop from the Church of England saying, well, we can't really define what a woman is, or we haven't done so up till now, right? The whole point in deference to not making trans people feel bad, right? So we're going to deny some of the most core basic truth going back to the opening chapters of Genesis in the interest of not making a few people who are mixed up and need prayer 
so they won't feel bad about their uh, gender or their identity, for heaven's sakes. When you have the church basically erasing women, well, everything Peterson said was right. Uh, we cannot go down this path. We cannot allow this to destroy everything about Western civilization. And if you can't get men and women right, right, if you can't identify uh, what a woman is, that's about as basic as you get. So um, it's a worry. Um, as, as far as Peterson goes, is he a Christian? Isn't he? I don't know. Uh, you know, I quote a lot of him. I link to a lot of his recent videos. Uh, he's certainly on a journey, as we all are. Um, evidently, his daughter has become a, well, as we would say, born-again Christian. Um, so whether he is or not, I don't know where he is on his journey. It's kind of hard to say, right? He's so f filled with, which, you know, maybe fair enough, his own Jungian terminology and worldview. You know, he, as I said in a recent piece, he has to stop thinking fully in terms of Jung and start thinking in terms of, well, scripture. So I said, look, if you're waiting to hear him talk about being born again, repenting of his sins, which is all just basic biblical language, let alone evangelical rhetoric. Uh, you won't get that from him. But, well, you know, he, I think his mind is going through all this. He's working through it right now. Where am I at? And how does my career as a behavior psychologist, how does that now work in with this new well, I mean, he certainly said he's no longer an atheist. That's a good start, right? Uh, so, you know, that's part of the journey. So some Christians get impatient. Oh, he's not born again, or he's not talking like that. Well, so what? First of all, the thief on the cross, he wasn't uh, talking like that. He didn't, didn't, yeah. didn't do anything. He didn't have time, right? He had a few yeah. seconds. You know, Jesus brought him into the kingdom, and that was it. So how far do you go, and how much lingo do you need? You know, we all have different journeys. How I got saved was different, probably uh, perhaps from you and so many others. So if uh, Peterson is now Christian or soon to be, well, the very uh, bottom line, let's pray for him for heaven's sakes. Instead of being an armchair critic saying, oh, I'm not happy with this or that, oh, pray for the guy. I pray for him every single day. And hopefully many others are. So if he comes to know the Lord, that'll be fantastic. But, well, because what we call common grace, in a sense, I'm happy that God can use him now as Joe Pagan, right? He shared so much truth already, as you say, helped so many people, especially young men, right? Mm -hmm. Hundreds of thousands of young men have been hugely helped, kept from suicide the whole bit. Sure, would it be even better if Peterson were outright Christian and he could help everybody even further? But still, I think if God is helping people to uh, get their lives sorted out, keeping them from suicide and drugs and all the rest, well, that's important as well. So, mm. yeah, we got to cut him some slack, pray for him, hope he gets his act together fully. He seems to be making real progress. And in the meantime, pray for these guys in the Church of England who can't tell you what a woman is. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. It's quite scary. But Jordan Peterson, I'm not sure if you saw, I read in your article that you prefer reading and not necessarily yeah. watching lots of videos, but there was a recent video of uh, Peterson where he breaks down and he gets really emotional and he cries about his journey of uh, basically not being an atheist anymore and how he yeah. does recognize that there is a God. But then you yeah. can see him going, he's trying to figure out what that actually means. Yeah, yeah, and you can yeah. see because he's such a logical man and because yeah. he is one of those, he's probably a little bit like C.S. Lewis, one yeah. of those really yeah. analytical type thinkers. Sure. He's just trying to break down, I think, that whole, you know, uh, faith barrier, because a lot of what we do is is by faith. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think that's where he's at, which is really encouraging. But, you know, like, like you also said, we, we are saved through Christ, not through man. Um, and, you know, God can use whomever and whatever means he would like to further his kingdom, you know, finishing off on what you said, um, you know, pray for these, the bishop uh, in the church of, was it the church of England? I think, yeah, I read the article that you wrote on that, that they could not define what it meant to be a woman. And um, they said, that I think their quote was, there are many complexities around the subject now. 
But like you said, I think you can open Genesis and it's pretty much straight there staring at you in the face. <laughs> so it's not too hard to define. But what do you make of this? Where, where, what do you think this means for the church as a whole? And how do we sort of, I guess, push back against ideas like this within our own camp, within our own sort of Christianity church and tent? Yep, yep. Well, look, I know a number of the, the champs in England, the Rio Deal Christians, many lay people, you know, many in parachurch groups who are fighting the fight. And the more I think about Great Britain, you know, this has got to be one of the most messed up pagan, you know, there's plenty of contenders out there. Canada's not doing well. New Zealand, much of Europe. But England is in such a bad way. And you think of its heritage, right? Come on, think of mm. What happened with the English Reformation, the Puritans? You can think of, you know, go through the list, whether a John Stott, a, a Spurgeon, a Lloyd-Jones. I mean, on and mm. on it goes. And, you know, where is England at today? It's in an absolute mess. And every time I go there, I just kind of grieve. I think no wonder it's in such a mess. The church has gone absolutely bonkers. Uh, most people don't even go to church, and half of the leadership is out in space somewhere with the latest woke agenda. So it's tough. Uh, what do you do? How do you turn it around? Well, the old question there is, do you stay and fight, hope for a renewal, or do you simply leave and come up with some new structure? I mean, well, history again, right? You had that whole movement. The Puritans became the pilgrims and went to America, right? Many of them were yeah. separatists. So they thought the Church of England back then, right, four or 500 years ago was irredeemable and we have to break away, start something new. And again, reading more on the founding of America, just how absolutely Christian that was, right? You won't get that in our pagan schools and textbooks, but boy, you know, they went to the new world to put a city on a hill, a light to the world uh, to get something new, to really do this great Christian thing. And just about everyone, sure, there were some deists in the mix, but most were biblical Christians looking to find a new place where they could live out their faith, teach their faith to their families and have an impact even in the government, right? Um, all that's gone in America, all that's gone in England. And, uh, well, we see the bitter fruits of the enlightenment of postmodernism. It's been bad enough in the world, but of course it always hits the church as much as mm. well. Instead of the church having an impact on the world, it's the other way around. We see the bitter fruit in the UK. So, yeah, what do you do? <laughs> well, people keep asking me, I say, it's probably going to get worse. All over the West, the church will get worse. The culture wars will get worse. Statism will get worse, right? Everything's going to get worse, at least for the immediate future. But if the Lord should tarry, right? And, you know, if he comes today, great. That's, I pray every day, Lord, come quickly. You know, I've had enough. Probably you have. But uh, if he should tarry, uh, it'll probably get worse. But come on. It took hundreds of years from the early church, right? Acts 17, 6, it says they turned the worlds upside down. It mm -hmm. took hundreds of years to find, well, basically the West being, well, you speak of Christianity and the West, they were really synonymous. They were one in the same for such a long period of time. Now that didn't happen overnight, it took many centuries, a lot of grief, a lot of bloodshed. Uh, so it could happen again. We are now back into the really the old paganism uh, that the early church encountered. We're really pretty much there again. So if the Lord is not coming back for a while, we've got another big job on our hands. And it won't happen overnight. As we said, 49 odd years for Uberforce, 49 odd years for Roe v. Wade. A lot of these things take a bit of time. We're impatient. We'd like to snap our fingers and think, well, I signed a petition once last week. Is that enough? Uh, no, it's not. Uh, we've got a long-term job. In fact, the other side is good at thinking in terms of the long-term and the big picture. Christians are not good at either, right? We have to have the big picture. We have to have the long-term and who knows what God can do. If we're willing, if we say, God, I'm available, uh, you know, if he can use somebody like me, which I'm amazed. And by the way, a lot of my hippie friends, right, they didn't make it. 
They either died of drug overdoses or they committed suicide. I was doing both, right? I was, you know, drugs every day. I was suicidal. So you say, God, why me? They didn't make it. I did. And you say, well, this is God's grace. Little did I know, as you say, one day I'd end up in Australia. I'd end up doing a few bits for the kingdom. You know, it's small fry stuff. It's nothing big shakes. But hey, we all have a little role to play. We all have something to contribute and taken together. God will use that to turn things around. We may have to wait for a while for the Church of England to get its act together, for Australian churches to get their act together. But hey, let's be faithful. Let's persevere. Let's trust God and let's give him the glory in the journey. Absolutely. I think as well, um, what we're seeing is a new era of uh, Christians, a new era of shepherds, of Mm. church. There are so many refugees, so many people over here who are looking for new churches. And there are so many ministers and pastors who weren't happy with the church's response, who are stepping up. And it's amazing. I I find, and I'm not sure if you've seen it with your line of work and what you've done as well. A lot of the world has become very like academia, very academic, very, uh, you know, basically everything is a degree you go you get a piece of paper that's it you're done whereas you rewind the clock a bit more in history a lot of people did things or accomplished things not because they just ticked all the boxes and got a piece of paper but because they were called to a position or they were forced or thrust into a position because of the circumstances around them and i feel like the church has unfortunately become very academic and it hasn't really been something where a, a person might have been led or called into that spot um, of leadership or, you know, over Christians and a church. And I think we're seeing that now, which is encouraging because I feel there are really um, suitable um, shepherds to come and, and administer to the flocks. Uh, they're called into that. They're not doing it because it's this academic degree that they can check all these boxes off like they're doing it because there is a need there is a void that needs to be filled and they're stepping up into those positions Mm -hmm. um so i think from that will breed good fruit i think the congregation will get stronger and i think when you have a strong church you have a strong community and when you have a strong community that's when you can extend that into the nation and get a strong nation i think we're unfortunately at the moment nations under judgment you see it all through the bible i mean how many times do we ignore god how many times do we mock him and humiliate him like how like how far can we stretch it you know and i think we're seeing unfortunately uh his judgment which is through bad leaders including government church family um and so from that though i think if we are holding on to things that are eternal, things that are truth, things that are rooted in scripture um, and in Christ's goodness, we will um, we we will hold on to those things and we will remain and we will be able to build back from that um, as Christians moving forward. So I am trying to have a hopeful um, look into the future. Like you said, I actually have recently become post mill in my eschatology. So I have it, I'm getting a very hopeful look for the future. But like you said, I do, I do agree. We are probably going to go through some hard times. You know, iron sharpens iron. I think we're going to have to go through a lot of things. Um, but it's going to sanctify us and redeem us. And it's going to hopefully lead to a a much better future for our kids and their kids. But before we finish off today, uh, Bill, I would love to send people to your direction. Um, Culture Watch is obviously your ministry, your website, but if you could give people a place where they wanna hear more of what you have to say, where they can find it, I'd love to finish off with that because everybody who's listening, you do not wanna miss following Bill and everything that he has to say. Well, thanks, Evelyn. Um, uh, Culture Watch, the website is uh, one word. So if you simply Google, culture watch you'll you'll get it straight away um well i was going to say in some ways i'm think i'm getting less traffic of late but that's because you know you guys are sharing so many of my articles uh you know so many other groups are that i guess in some ways i'm becoming ubiquitous you're kind of finding me all over the place uh I think that piece on the woke church and erasing women was like simultaneously on 
Cauldron Pool, Culture Watch, uh, the Daily Declaration, the Australian Spectator, right? So some people might be getting tired of me, actually. I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, Culture Watch is the main vehicle. As I say, I do have a YouTube page with about 100 uh, videos on. Uh, some of my books are still floating around, Kurong and places like that. Um, still uh, speak and teach here and there, so you can keep your eye out for that. Obviously, Facebook and other social media presence. So I guess I'm not too hard to find. Plus, there's not a lot of uh, Muhlenbergs in Australia. In fact, there's only five as far as I know. I, I go around different cities looking the phone book. Nope, none there. So me and my wife and my kids. So we're pretty easy to look up if you need to, even online. And uh, yeah, Culture Watch will give you about at least one new uh, piece every day. So like I say, about 6,000, that'll keep you off the streets for a while if you want to go through those. Uh, but there's always new stuff happening. I always try to uh, keep up with it. There's, um, as I say, interactive uh, website, plenty of comments. If you want to engage and interact, uh, feel free. So yeah, uh, plenty there. Uh, I'm trying to keep up with you guys and Cauldron Pool and all the other great champs. So uh, I pray for you guys. And uh, if uh, folks will keep us in prayer, that'll be good as well. And uh, hopefully we'll make a difference for the kingdom. Absolutely. And thank you again for coming on the Cauldron Pool Show today. It's been such an honor, such a privilege, and maybe we can have you back again in the future with some other amazing articles that I'm sure you're going to be writing about. That would be fantastic. Thanks, Ev. Thanks, Cauldron Pool.